Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined again by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about inventory, rates, and what he expects to see on inflation. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah Wheeler. Thank you so much for having me. I am glad you are here. We have a lot to talk about. First off, you had our third week of the housing market tracker go live on Monday, which you wrote, which looks at three data lines. It looks at purchase application data. It looks at um, the inventory on a weekly basis. And you take a look at the bond market and, and what that means for mortgage rates. So that was our third week. What did we What did we discover this week? Well, the number one surprising thing is that uh, inventory is falling much faster than I even thought uh, um, where we are right now. Now, of course, inventory is always seasonal, falls in the you know fall and winter and rises in spring and summer. Um, but this is a little bit more than than I was anticipating. So, which means that the NAR's uh, existing home sales inventory data could break under a million. Can't believe I'm saying that again, but yeah. Uh, so we are uh, gonna go into spring kind of near all time lows again on the inventory data. You know, so it's 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 it'll be interesting to see is some of this just all seasonal or did the recent purchase application data increasing from a very very low bar is that starting to take some of the homes maybe off the market? Um, you know, we're not in a seasonal time in purchase application data, but the purchase application data is trying to get back to normal. COVID has just ruined the seasonality of this data line uh, in the most extreme fashion I've ever seen. So uh, seven of the last 10 purchase application data were positive. The last three weeks have seen uh, negative weekly data, but traditionally, you know, the last two weeks of the year, the first two weeks of the year, doesn't really have a lot of volume, especially the last week and first week. I always tend to look at purchase application data on this after the second week of January to the first week of May. So starting from now is when we get to see, you know, is demand coming back or is it just flat? Have we just stabilized and gone nowhere? And one of the concerns I have with inventory falling as much as it has is that Again, a traditional seller is a traditional buyer, and we really do need to see new listings growth to get uh, more buyers and inventory into the process. And what I don't want to see in 2023, which I'm going to really keep an eye on, is what we saw at the end of uh, June last year, where the sellers just said, nah, no, not going to do it. Uh, And we always see traditional inventory growth. That always happens every year. But if the new listing data has another year of not much happening, it just it holds everything at bay, um, and that, that's part of the reason why we saw a waterfall dive in purchase application data and existing home sales. It wasn't the traditional marginal home buyer that gets hit like we saw in 2013 and 14 or 2018 and 19. I mean, this was just a a freezing, much like like we saw during COVID, except this was higher mortgage rates. Uh, uh, not a global pandemic. 
I was just going to say, so let's talk about mortgage rates because that is what really is making the difference for that traditional seller who wants to be a buyer. They're like, I don't want to give up whatever rate I have. You know, we're not talking about first time buyers who are coming in, although obviously higher rates makes it harder for them. But we're talking about the people who are like, should I I list my house? But that means I have to go and get a a pretty um, high mortgage rate compared to what it was last year. So where are we? What is the bond market doing? And what do you think mortgage rates are going to do? So the bond market is looking at the Federal Reserve and just kind of chuckling and kind of saying, oh, you're so cute. Entrenched inflation. Oh, okay. So I got to explain what entrenched inflation is. This is the battle right here. This is the whole economic warfare that we're having right now is based on the premise that we are back to 1974 and 1975. Why do I say that? Because in 1974 and 1975, the U.S., had a recession, but bond yields and mortgage rates went up. And then the same thing happened in 1980 and 1981. So this is the fear and uh, uh, of the 1970s coming back again, which I don't believe is correct. I've never believed it to be correct. We are, as a country, we're in a much more mature stage of our economy. We have supply chains and just natural more supply of of of, of product out there. Than what we used to have, um, the '70s had unbelievable shelter inflation, right? And not a lot of people know this. Um, this is why I have to I have to keep on showing the long term shelter charts. If you believe in entrenched inflation, and this is key for everyone, and I'm talking to any of my macro friends who are listening to this right now, you have to make a case that shelter inflation is going to take off like it did in the '70s. What we're seeing right now is that the growth rate of rent inflation is cooling down uh, so much that the Federal Reserve has changed their uh, model on this to account because the CPI inflation is going to lag six to 12 months, right? So we're going to see this shelter inflation keep on rising in 2022, and the the shorter-term data isn't the case. So this has to be explained because some of us thought, wow, we could go through all of 2023 and, and CPI doesn't really account for what's going on. Same thing as you know in the previous where CPI inflation was not accounting for the unbelievable shelter inflation that was happening in 2020, 2021. So I think, I think that's the crux of this argument is that can you really have 1970s inflation with rent inflation cooling off? I don't believe you can. Uh, I, I would love to have an open macroeconomic debate with any economists, including Larry Summers, to say that this is going to be the case. Because if it's not the case, the bond market is like, no, we're not believing this. And again, my whole principal argument is that the 10-year yield has never believed in the sustained entrenched inflation. If it did, the 10-year yield would be north of five and a quarter, right? It never did that. Um, the last rise up to four and a quarter was the dollar getting stronger and creating world drama. So we're starting to do this debate now in 2023. If the growth rate of inflation is falling, adjusting to rents, the bond market is correct. The Federal Reserve is stuck back in the 1970s. You, Sarah, what, 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 what do you know about me about 1970s and baby boomers? You don't want to be old and slow. You don't want to be old and slow, right? You don't. You want to be athletic <laughs> Talented, young, and you want to move fast, yeah. right? Because the bond market is like, no. So, um, and and the reason I, I'm having this discussion now is I'm literally challenging everyone 
that if jobless claims break, now for me, I don't believe the Fed pivots until jobless claims breaks until we get 323,000 initial claims, four-week moving average, not headline. Pivot means something else to everyone. Some people say think that's rate cuts or anything. For me, it's by that time, the bond market should get ahead of the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve is caught once again of being old and slow. And I am waiting for that moment to happen because if the 10-year yield is already doing this now with the labor market type, that means the wage spiral premise that people are talking about. That means the massive shelter inflation that's going to keep on booming. Those are going away. And we see that in the wage growth data, You know that the wage growth, especially on the low end, that was running double digits is cooling down and so it is for everyone else. So there is no wage spiral. We already have a tight labor market you know, it's not breaking out anytime soon. So I think on a historical basis, this is a very, very interesting year to see that if this is true, then the Larry Summers of the world and all these baby boomers who keep on thinking about 1970s coming back, boy, that that just doesn't hold water considering that this was highly driven by a global pandemic first. And the recovery off of this. So if supply chains and data gets better uh, on the supply side, the growth rate should cool down. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the Federal Reserve's uh, talking points is that we don't have population growth like we used to. This is true, right? This is my whole talking point during the COVID-19 recovery was that job opening should get to 10 million. But we don't see the wages spiraling out of control that some had feared early on. And we're not seeing the shelter inflation spiral out of control like some people thought that happened in the 1970s. So we have two different you know, pressures on rates. Obviously, the Fed raising rates is a huge pressure. We have that. But we also have, like you talked about, the, the bond market could get ahead of the Fed. And, and you feel like a lot of that is already baked into the rates currently. And it could, and rates could fall even if the Fed doesn't want them to. So where do you think we're going to go on rates? See, the, the Fed is talking tough, but they're not being more aggressive on any of their future moves. So it, it's, it's almost like playing poker with a person that's showing you their cards. Like if they kept on saying we're hiking 75 basis points every time, I don't care until we get 2% inflation. They're not doing that. Um, the growth rate of inflation has already cooled down. We already see a lot of frontline data's inflationary data cool down. So I believe the Fed has always been trying to talk tough to keep financial conditions as tight as possible. That that only goes so far, right? Um if the Federal Reserve was honest, let's say if I was told to, I have to communicate to the marketplace that we are going to destroy the economy to get inflation down, I would basically say, listen, I want, I want the Fed's fund rates to be one and a half to 2% above core PCE. Okay. What's P, uh, then, define PCE? Uh, personal consumer expenditures. Okay. That's what the Fed rolls up. They don't run off CPI. They run off PCE inflation. They want the 2% target there. If you look at the annualized month-to-month growth, we're probably going to have a three-handle in this data line uh, by the end of this year. If you're just running off of that, the 10-year yield is correct, right? The bond market is correct. If the Federal Reserve chooses to actually say, listen, we've changed our minds. We want to be extremely restrictive. We want one and a half to 2% above where we think three, six, and 12-month PCE. Then 
you can get maybe the bond market say, okay, they're they're really crazy. They want to destroy the U.S. economy. They're not doing it. So you've had a bad poker player um, show you their cards, and I think that's the bond market is is correct in that. The question is now, I mean, you know, there's going to be some CPI data lines that come in cooler. Some CPIs might become harder, but the trend is your friend here. Uh, and again, it really revolves around shelter inflation. Uh, and I think that's the, um, that's, that's, you know, the growth rate of rents doesn't mean rent inflation collapses. It just means that the growth rate was not sustainable. And then that's what I did on CNBC in September, right? When, when we went on CNBC on CPI day before the report came out and said the shelter inflation is going to keep on going, but by January and February should be evident to every human being on planet earth that the growth rate of inflation, which rents has to cool, it's going to cool down. And we're, we're there so much that the fed created their own tracker to adjust to the, to the new model. So I think that's a positive. I think that to me is one of the bigger deals in housing economics and in general economics that the lag of shelter, which, you know, happened in 1918 and 1920. We saw the same thing back in the p- pandemic back then. Uh, rents went up and then we saw inflation periods to de- disinflation periods where the growth rate is, is calmed down. So rents just lag. That's just the way it is. So let's let's get really down to it. If I am a mortgage lender, if I'm in mortgage at all, like your um, your rate for forecast for this year is anywhere from seven and a quarter to five and a quarter, right? It could it could vary in there. Um, we have been at like six point two. Um, maybe that was a low, and then and then off of that. What do you think is going to happen um, the rest of January, and then going into February? So by the time this podcast comes out, the CPI data would be out there. We'll see what the bond market reaction is today. As a, as of this moment. Mortgage rates are six point one five percent. When we wrote that article on October twenty seventh, when the mortgage rates were above seven percent, uh, the premise was that the Fed's own most favorite recessionary tracker plugged a recession. Okay, historically speaking, when that occurs, bond yields—you know—the the next move is not up; it's down. Next big move. From that day, I, I, I encourage everyone to go back to October 27th, look at where the 10-year yield was, mortgage rates, everything. What has happened since then? So the premise of that article was the case for mortgage rates to fall in 2023. So from that point, we've gone from the peak was 7.37% to I think the low point was 6.14%. Or you know, that that in itself is is it's already happened. The question is the next stage, right? Um if mortgage-backed securities, if the spreads get better by themselves, right? You know, you're five and a half, five and a quarter. The ten-year yield falls a little bit more. Uh, 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 in that sense, um, we can. I don't expect the spreads to get spectacularly better, but um, I mean, there's some room down here if the growth rate of inflation. I think what the other the other thing is that the Fed. The Fed hasn't fully gone into the recession uh, talk yet, um, and this is why I, you know, I, you could call up somebody's poker bluff easily. Um, this is why the when we wrote about or we talked about the Fed pivot, jobless claims need to break. If you go back to post nineteen sixty, my six recession red flag model is is designed to be early, 
and just wait until you see claims break. When claims break, that means the recession's off. So that's why I've targeted that 323K level. And I ask people, do you think rates would go up in this environment or lower, right? And that's the argument between 1974, 1975, or 1980, 1981 to now. And my, my view is that the 10-year-old has never believed in the entrenched inflation premise. If it did, it should be much higher than what it is now. Go with that trend until something changes. Now, the counter to my own premise is that the U.S. economy is about to explode higher, right? And there's so much demand, so much booming demand that the supply cannot simply uh, catch catch up with it. And that will be entrenched inflation. Rent inflation is going to take off. And it's just that uh, we, we simply are too strong of an economy. I don't believe that. I don't think anybody else really believes that either. So that's why I'm, I've made that argument going back to October 27th. We have a ringing of the doorbell that the Fed's own indicator, the most favorite indicator they liked, went showed a recessionary. So the next move over time should be lower. That's 2023. We're already here. So it's early in the year. It's going to be a really exciting year. But um, I think the the premise, a lot of people thought the real bearish American citizens on housing were all these 8 to 10% people. And I'm going to say it once again, there's only one group of people that think like this. It is the anti-central bank movement. Um, they run around like pirates, just a doomsday cult. There's nothing else we could say about it. And they've gotten a lot older. And mortality is mortality, <laughs> seeing them right in the eye. And um, this is this is how they're going to be until the end, right? And I say, let's bury them like we buried the Redcoats, like we buried every bearish American group going back to 1790. We have done this. We've always done this. We've defeated the American bears always. Cycles come and go. This is not the collapse or the dollar collapse or the laser eyes or whatever. No, we're going to flex our American muscle this decade. Why? Because we do have a young workforce. We do have King Dollar. We do have the biggest military. We do have friendly neighbors. We are not the Roman Empire where the Visigoths and the Huns are coming after us. No. So let's get through this phase, get things back to normal. Right. Uh, and, and I think, I think the case is made back in October 27th and we just go with that until, uh, uh, it reverses. And so far it really hasn't reversed, even though GDP is, uh, 4% now trending for Q4. A lot of that is, as uh, uh, inventory, but, um, I, 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 I'm very hopeful that there is a possible solid way to get a soft landing. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm rooting for. This is my next question. So not only did you uh, write the article, you know, the case for uh, mortgage rates to fall in 2023, you also wrote one, how to avoid a recession. So obviously housing has been in a recession since the summer of 2022, but the overall economy from your perspective is not. So what are some of those ways? What does a soft landing look like? Soft landing needs simply two things. It needs uh, the growth rate of inflation to fall and needs mortgage rate to fall. Um, what I see a lot of people doing, which is, which is correct, actually, is that housing is the first sector to go into recession. So until housing changes, you know, uh, the U.S. is, we're, we're early and we haven't, the U.S. economy hasn't hit a recession yet. It would be interesting to see if mortgage rates fall low enough, long enough, 
to change the builder's confidence index because the builder stocks have rallied pretty much uh, very aggressively, 25% off the lows. So the builder stocks are saying, hey, listen, something's changing here. Um, if the housing market just stabilizes and stops going down, I, I, I'm going to be very interested to see what a lot of recession people talk about then. Of course, you know, going back to 1960, whenever my sixth recession red flags up, it's not a very good thing. Uh, but if the growth rate of inflation could fall and mortgage rates could fall, then we go back to what is it? Consumer balance sheets are good, right? So uh, at that point, it really depends on what the Federal Reserve would do with you know rate hikes or where they are. Because if core PCE is falling down toward 3%, you have a very restrictive policy in, 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 in that regard. So uh, that's a different battle for another time. But for now... Let's just take this year how it is, and uh, we're about to hit the spring season. So the purchase application data is going to be your key um, from now on. You know, we'll, 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 what I've what I've seen in the data is just basically a stabilizing. That was such an aggressive waterfall dive in purchase application data and home sales that the bar is so low that we can all trip over it. So we need uh, context when we talk about the data lines at this point. We need those lower rates going into the spring home buying season. Otherwise, uh, to your point, like, you know, people aren't going to list their homes because they're going to have to buy another home. So we, I feel like we have to see some of those rates come down. Well, you know, I think the, the other aspect is that the real doomsday scenario was to see eight to 10% mortgage rates going into spring. Right. Um, and again, as soon as rates got to 6%, sellers like, no. And, and one of the things that, that, I try to stress with this conversation. I understand everybody likes to call it a mortgage rate lockdown, but the total cost of housing for homeowners have been falling for years, right? Uh, your wages grow every year. Your mortgage payment stays the same. That was the whole concept of housing. Fixed payment, rising wages over time, your cash flow gets better. What happened also is that everyone refinanced during COVID as well. So it got even better than that. But the thing is that in an inflationary environment, and I think this is such a key point, it never gets talked about enough. In an inflationary environment, your wages go higher than normal. Your housing costs, in a sense, your mortgage payment still stays the same. So not only did we have good data going out for years, we had another wave of refinancing and now people's wages have gone up. So those that American homeowner is looking so good, right? In their minds and they're unless they really needed to sell, they just why 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 ruin a good thing? Right? And that's that's the that's the one of the things that you know when people talk about the 70s compared to now, I I tell people with housing, I said it's such a dramatically different case. We had rising rates for years with rising inflation. We weren't having rising rates for years. We've had, you know, millions and millions of people who are homeowners who their financial profiles look great, especially after 2010 when everything is fixed. So um, <clears throat> I think it, we, we have to look at, we, we can't compare everything to the 1970s. I think that's a good aspect. I think this was the biggest test ever in history last year. And homeowners just said, why would I move? What, 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 you think I'm going to give up my $2,000 payment for a five, $6,000 payment? You know, um, it's, it, it, that's why I always say the mortgage rate lockdown or whatever we want to call it is not a good thing in the sense for home sales. It's great that homeowners are doing wonderful, right? 
That's that's the whole benefit, right? Homeowners are doing wonderful. But in this sense, mortgage rates went up so much so fast that it changed behavior. Now, we're always going to get traditional new listings, right? That always happens. There's always people that move every year. Uh, that number isn't big enough in relationship to demand. I mean, last year was the biggest demand hit in recent history in a very short amount of time and inventory is almost getting to all-time low. So let's see if the new listings data can grow and then that seller is going to become a home buyer because that seller sells the home. They get a buyer for that home and they go buy another home, right? The inventory channels stay the same, but sales can go up. And that it really explains what's happened in the total inventory data past uh, 2012. I mean, the last time we had inventory growth was in 2014. Purchase application data is pretty much back to 2014 levels. But back then, the peak inventory that year, NAR, was about 2.3 million. Uh, here we're at 1.14 million and probably going to go a little bit lower before the spring uh, uh, season rises for the NAR data. I think you make a really good point about the mortgage rates rising so fast because obviously, you know, even low sixes is not terrible. I mean, historically, low sixes is not a terrible rate. It's just when you're com- comparing it. So it's funny to me that like, so because it happened so fast, once we got into sixes, then we saw the slowdown. Uh, but then, you know, if you've, if you've seen it go seven, seven, you know, uh, into the high sevens, you're like, oh, six looks great, right? So there is a psychological, obviously, what you can afford changes with the mortgage rate, but also there's a psychological part of it. When, when, I, when, I, when I went on CMC again last year, Becky Quick asked me, how do I refer this period? I said, look back in 2018 and 19 and just think of a much drastic affordability hit because it, it Back in 2018, we we only had mild single digit price growth. Wasn't the case. We were up 40 percent plus before mortgage rates. So you're getting hit on on both sides of the front. The total cost of housing went up so fast because home prices accelerated 2020, 2021, and early on in 2022 as well. Um, and then you have the biggest spike in mortgage rates in recent history. The total cost of housing went up a lot for some people. Now, millions of people buy homes a year, right? So people that sell their homes have the nested equity. They have a little bit more of a down payment. So the total cost of housing isn't going to be as big to them, especially if they move to a cheaper area. Um, But in general terms, third world countries have these really big rate moves, you know, Um, not, not usually the United States of America. And that's just the situation we're in. So naturally, we we got to see what behavior looks like, and there was just there was a point to where people just no, not going to, and I and you know we always have this people always have this discussion: is it the best time to buy? Is it the best time to sell? Is there, forget all about that for a second. Think about this: millions of people buy homes every year. When rates go up, the market slows down. Rates come down, market gets better. We're trying to find a stabilization point, right? And I think I think this is this is the first key is to find where does the housing market stabilize before we 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 talk about a rebound or anything like that. But we are so low in sales right now that it, just, it creates a very very low bar. Um, and again, this goes to the post nineteen ninety six existing home sales rarely go under four million on a monthly print. We're probably going to see that in the next existing home sales report. 
Uh, it's just with a population of 330 million people uh, um, and all these households and all these people working, you know, that's why the sales levels are higher than what they were in the late seventies, the late 1970s. For some reference, we went from 2 million existing home sales to 4 million, then from 4 million down to 2 million. Uh, that was the uh, housing recession back then. And 2 million to two and a half is what you consider a more normal market, correct? Uh, for in, total inventory, if you go back to 1982, historically were two to two and a half million. If you look at a mean average, it's really 2.4 million. Again, I can I can make a very good case that um, what happened from 2006 to 2011 was a, it was an abnormal anomaly in the data line. So, you know, inventory getting to four million like we did in 2007 was forced credit selling without any buyers. We had forbearance. We had a, we had recessionary data. We had a dive in demand, and yet we are here sitting today, talking about how close are we getting back to all time lows. So there's more to the inventory channel than what people want to believe in. It's very grueling, economic, boring work, right? You know, economics done right should be boring. I think the Flavor is oh massive amount of people forcing to sell. That's all I've heard for ten years. You uh, know? Me too. And it's just never been the case. And I think that's that's the difference between what I say a stock trader than from a housing economist, right? Because a stock trader always thinks they're always leveraged. They have to sell to get out. Well, you don't sell your stock to be homeless, right? But you you do sell your house to be homeless unless you purchase something with it or find some other form of shelter. So uh, the environment is set up for you to stay in your house for a very long time. Uh, so it's a much different, much different discussion. I also just think it's, um, you know, it, it totally undermines the idea of a housing crash. It's like if you have 1.1 million homes for sale in a country of 330 million people, there's no way to make that a crash. Like even in the in the housing bubble years when we had 4 million, we're so far off of that. So, uh, you know, one one thing I would say is I would plug the fact that you have your 2023 forecast out that people can look at. You do it once a year. And you have your weekly housing market tracker that you're doing every Monday now looking at these things. And uh, if that's not enough, we have on February 6th, we have a market update event. And you're going to be joined by Mike Simonson, the president of Altos Research, Odetta Cushy. She's at First American, Lisa Sturdivant from Bright MLS. And we're going to have this discussion about what is the housing market going to look like for the rest of this year? Yes. And by February, we'll have a, a good idea how the early spring data is. And again, purchase application data looks out 30 to 90 days. You don't fill out an application and go into that house two days later. And sometimes it takes even a little bit longer than that. I think that's, I guess my thing has always been days on market. Days on market, being a teenager, nothing good ever happens in the history of the world when that's the case. So the fact that days on market is up to 24, I'm loving it. I want it, I want it back above 30. I just want a B&B housing market boring and balanced. And uh, uh, we're not there yet, but we're heading in the right way. So the Fed re the housing reset to me, what the Federal Reserve is talking about, they don't they want to end the bidding wars. They want to end the no contingency buying. They want things back to normal, and we're getting back to that. We're getting, we're definitely back. The bidding wars are are are, are ending in a sense in scale terms, and you know the sellers uh, do not have the advantage over the buyers anymore. You see more seller con concessions. These are all positives for the housing market. Uh, I see it. What we saw in twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one was 
savagely unhealthy. Savagely unhealthy. Well, we're going to stop there. Logan, thanks again for being with us and uh, appreciate your insight as always. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.